So as the youth go out, we are going to have um, our continuing series called By Faith, and it's on the life of Abraham. And it's very fitting that we uh, should be talking about By Faith as we watch that video and think about church planting and establishing communities. Um, uh, quite extraordinary that, um, uh, that we've got this amazing opportunity to do something very special in these coming weeks and months. And so therefore, I want to continue in our, in our series on Abraham, very fitting. And if you've got a Bible, or if you want to watch the screen, can you turn to Genesis 14? And after I've preached, we're going to have an opportunity to, to be able to offer into what lies ahead in terms of uh, church planting. So we are really going into the unknown. Uh, it's amazing that there isn't a church at this point in time in the harbour. So this, this time that we're living in is full of possibilities. It's full of excitement. We are called to live by faith. I'm thinking of that old delirious song. Um, do you remember that? Some of you will remember it. Those under the age of 20 may not, or, or 30. It's called History Makers. Do you remember that song? I'm, I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm going to be a history maker. And we are making history day by day. So, so this day is unfolding, but by the end of the day, this day is going to be called history. And we're making history in what actually happens today in terms of our intentionality about planting churches. As Ollie said last week, you know, we're really right to the very back of the auditorium and we're thinking of the way in which this church could continue to grow and develop. And it will be by planting churches. And it will be by some of you going, listening to Carl and Chrissy talking about their own perseverance and faith and push. Uh, as they say, incarnated in the harbour. These are exciting days. We are making history today together. And so I'm delighted. I'm going to be speaking on chapter 14. It just so happens that this coincides with today's free will offering. So let me read to you from that. Let me take it from verse 17. And this is uh, after Ollie spoke last week on the way in which uh, Abraham... Um, and Lot spread out into the promised land. And he made short reference to the way in which some kings were fighting. So if you've got your Bibles open, you won't see it on screen. But the first part of chapter 14 is about uh, conflict. It's about four kings taking on five kings and plundering. And Abraham gets caught up in this. He's going to rescue his uh, nephew, Lot, his wife and his family. He's heard about Lot's misfortune and he's assembled a fighting force of about 300 men. And if you just, this isn't on screen, but if you notice in verse 13, he's called for the very first time Abra, Abram the Hebrew. You notice that in verse 13 if you've got your Bibles open. Abram the Hebrew. And I checked out the word Hebrew and it's fascinating. That word Hebrew, its root means to pass over. So Abraham came from Ur in the Chaldees, and he had to cross the Euphrates River to get to Canaan. And so he was described as Abraham, the crosser over. Abraham and the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, calls him Abraham, the passenger. And I love the way this starts. So it's the bit before we're about to read this that actually we are all crossers over. 
we're all crossing the big river. We crossed the big river from death to life. We crossed the river by baptism in water. We are fellow pilgrims like Abraham. We've gone out in faith, leaving behind everything that was familiar and going on into this amazing life of faith. You've done it. You're Hebrew in that respect. You're, a, you're Clive the passenger. I'm on this boat, this ship of faith that's taking me through deep waters on into an amazing promised land. Isn't this exciting? And all that we're trying to do, and hearing from God and saying, Lord, we're praying into where we're going from here. This chapter has much to tell us as we make history together today. And so by faith is for you. I'm walking by faith, so are you. I'm a pilgrim, so are you. We're on an amazing pilgrimage and every single day of your life counts. You might think, man, I've got some wasted days in my life. Well, I'll tell you, God will use every single day of your life to weave a beautiful story together. Do not ever think that your days have been wasted. God was there when you thought, man, that didn't, that didn't amount to much. Or to use the American expression, that wasn't a much of a hill of beans. No, no, no. God's involved in every single day. And um, I love the way Jesus appears in the Old Testament. And I'm thinking about Abraham who's gone to great trouble, to great distance to rescue Lot. He's left his own safety and his peaceful existence, having gone to one side, whereas Lot's gone to the other, and Lot's been taken away into captivity. But Abraham uses great courage and not a little daring. He's going to go and rescue Lot by defeating a strong enemy, these kings that have imprisoned his family, and he plunders the enemy. Hang on a minute, I'm beginning to think, hang on, someone who's left their peaceful existence using great courage and not a little daring, and they've plundered the enemy. Who does that remind you of? Who does that remind you of? Jesus is there. He's there in the Old Testament. He hasn't made his move yet, but he's there. He's the true kinsman redeemer like Abraham was for Lot. And so now what I want to talk about is verse 17. Let me read this to you, okay? Chapter 14 of Genesis, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. In Hebrew, that's El Elyon, very special name. And he blessed him. And said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. That's a very solemn promise that Abraham has made. It's, a, it's an action. I've lifted my hand to the Lord. I've made a vow. I've made an oath. To the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. That was to fight to rescue Lot. Let Ana, Eshkol and Mamre take their share. 
What a strange little moment very early on in Genesis. So we're only a few chapters into the Bible and this very interesting character appears on, uh, on the stage. Can we go to the next slide to show a picture of Melchizedek? So this is a painting by the famous Flemish painter Peter Paul Rubens, 17th century. He's imagining that there's Abraham uh, on the left and there's Melchizedek on the right. And if you look at the bottom of the painting, there's lots of gold and silver, precious things. This is the plunder that's been taken from the kings. And you'll notice that Melchizedek is offering loaves of bread to Abraham. So Abraham, let's keep that picture up there for the moment. This is this extraordinary encounter going on. We're not really sure who this guy is, Melchizedek. Let's think about him for the moment. Because actually, although we're talking about Abraham and the series is called By Faith, we must pay a little bit of attention to this amazing character called Melchizedek. Abraham is returning back past the city of Salem, that is Jerusalem, and a king comes out of the city gates to greet him. And this king seems to be serving the same God that Abraham is serving. We've got no idea whatsoever from the biblical record where he comes from. Now, uh, my fellow elder, Martin, and I were discussing this a, a few days ago. I said to Martin, Martin, what do you reckon, who do you reckon Melchizedek is, was? And um, so I said, do you think he was maybe one of these Canaanite kings who lived in Jerusalem at the time? So Martin, quick as a flash, said, nah, that's the pre-incarnate Jesus. <laughs> now, you've got to decide for yourselves whether you think it's Jesus in his pre-incarnate guise or whether this was a Canaanite king. I think I lean, do you want me to tell you what I think? I think I lean into the, what I agree with Martin. I think this is Jesus. This is amazing. This is amazing. I, do you know why I think that? Because the Bible's full of mystery, and I love mystery. And maybe you've got a mysterious week this week, and you're thinking, I wish I could come out of mystery into certainty. I, just a little aside from my notes here. Uh, some of you, I look around the room, there are some of you in serious mystery. You just don't get what's going on. Hey, welcome to the human race. <laughs> mystery is where we camp out because then we live by faith. And so this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, uh, we know he's in the promised land. He doesn't have a father or mother. I'll come to the Hebrews description of him in a moment. He's presented like an eternal person. He's waiting for this moment to come out and bless Abraham. And we don't know how they managed to bump into each other at the same time, but... Well, we, we, we don't know how he be, became priest of God Most High. All we know is that he was there in Canaan waiting for this moment to happen. Melchizedek. What does the name mean? It means king of righteousness. <gasps> Can you feel the hairs on the back of your neck standing up? He was king of Salem. He's king of peace. Salem, shalom, salam. King of the original Jerusalem. And Melchizedek is not just king, but he's priest of God Most High, El Elyon. So he's priest of the true God, ruling over Jerusalem from ancient days. He is not related to Abraham in any way. The truth is out there somewhere. He's not known to any other covenant people of God. 
And then I think thrillingly, what happens next is this extraordinary moment where, what does he do? He doesn't just bless Abraham. He brings out bread and wine. Man, if that's not a clue as to who this mysterious figure is, nothing is. He brings out bread and wine. And this is a powerful reminder of Jesus and the Last Supper. And we're going to break bread together today because we are pilgrims. We're crossing the Euphrates River together today on into what God's got for us in the harbour and beyond. And so let me just give you a few more clues about who Melchizedek is. Can we go to Psalm 110? This extraordinary messianic psalm of David. And Jesus quotes this psalm because he wants to get the Pharisees intrigued as to who he really is. And Jesus teases the teachers of the law, if I can use the word tease, by saying, why does David say this? So David prophetically says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now you'll notice that the word Lord is in capital letters. That is Yahweh, El Elyon, the God most high. He says to my Lord, that is not David, that is not David, but Adonai. So in other words, God is seen to be talking as God to another God figure, this is God the Father talking to God the Son, saying, God, God the Father is saying, Lord Jesus, you are going to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, those of us who were enemies of God have become his worshippers. We're at his footstool. We're worshipping. This is an amazing little connection. And notice what happens next. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. This is a beautiful description of Jesus. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Now, here we go. After the order of Melchizedek. Hang on a minute. That would crunch into a Hebrew understanding. Hang on, that should be after the order of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood. So that therefore means that maybe there's a different order of priesthood going on here. And God is bringing a different order of priesthood after the Levites. It's no longer going to be in the order of Aaron. It's now in the order of Melchizedek. This is exciting. So what we have here, way back in Genesis 14, is a type or a pattern or Jesus himself as an epiphany, as an appearing, the, the theology word is a Christophany, a, an appearing of Jesus before he arrives in Bethlehem as a baby, being declared as a priest forever. This is a very special moment. So this now means that we're no longer under the priesthood of men, the Levites, Aaron and his descendants. We are under the great high priest himself. So when you need a priest, when you need to go and confess your sins, when you need the comfort of someone who says you're made right with God, when you need a mediator, when you need an intercessor, 
When you need help right now, you don't have the lineage of men anymore. You've got the God himself comes as your most high priest. He's your personal priest, God most high in the form and the glory of Jesus himself. Isn't that lovely? And no other priest could possibly come near that supernatural, comforting sufficiency of this priest who's offered himself as a sweet-smelling aroma for your sins and mine. For the forgiveness of my sins, it's Christ on the cross, my great high priest. And he himself is my forgiveness. So we're lifted out of the arena of men and we're lifted personally into the glory of the courts of heaven itself to our own eternal priest. Let's fast forward to Hebrews now and check these verses out because Melchizedek turns up in the New Testament. And so here we have in Hebrews chapter 5 this amazing description of Jesus. So Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Echoes of Psalm 110. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's what we just read in back in the Old Testament. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. God was able to save Jesus from death. He's well able to save you from death. Amen? And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So now we understand that God's got it all sewn up. Your salvation was eternally assured way back in the first 14 chapters of Genesis. It is a perfect salvation. You are not to doubt your forgiveness today. He's made full provision for everything you've ever done wrong. Now live in the good of it. Let's look again at Hebrews, wants to talk more about this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises." It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Now, let's go back to Abraham. 
So we're beginning to understand who this mysterious figure Melchizedek is. He is a type, or he is really Jesus himself in his pre-incarnate days. And Abraham gives him a tenth. He gives him a tenth. Now notice he gives him a tenth of the spoils of war. Now in this church, I, I could now get sidetracked to talk about the difference between tithing and giving. But you may have heard, that's one of my things that I like to talk about. And when I talk about that on the Joining the Church course, in this church, we don't teach tithing because it is a Jewish law from the Old Testament. However, it's a beautiful principle that turns into the word giving in the New Testament. So when you look at the way Paul talks about giving, he never uses the word tenthing, giving a tenth. And we notice when we look at Abraham giving Melchizedek a tenth of the plunder, God did not tell him to do that. He did it out of sheer spontaneity of the thrill of the, the battle being won. He gives him a tenth. We don't notice in the rest of Abraham's story that he continues to do that. But in the Mosaic law, we get this lovely idea of living on 90% of your income and giving 10%. But it was to support the Levites. But fast forward to the New Testament, you are all priests now to your God. And so the Levitical priesthood does not exist anymore. There is no temple in Jerusalem after AD 70. But what we have now is this beautiful principle of giving. And the, and the principle of tithing is precious, but it's not a law. It's now an adventure of faith. So this whole day, when we're watching that video about going to the harbour, we do not know what's going to happen next. We don't even have a figure in mind when we talk about a free will offering. And so now we are literally living by faith with our finances. And that's how it should be. You should be walking in maturity with your finances, with no one coercing you, no one telling you what to give and not not to give, no one giving you a number, 10%, no more, no less. No, we now live by grace and faith in the new covenant. Can I hear an amen? You've gone quiet on me. <laughs> and so don't get me wrong. A tenth is a lovely principle, but I, we, elders, are not going to tell you to do that because actually we want you to grow up in grace and freedom to get before God and say, Lord, if you're married, talk with your husband or your wife and say, what do you think we should give? You are not under law. Okay, good, because this is freedom and exciting and this is about living a little bit dangerously and saying, Lord, I'm going to be sacrificial here. I know I want to get, I want to see a church in the harbour. I want to see this thing go. We've got to grow and develop unless we build, you know, three mezzanine floors and lift the roof off and, you know, have a 10 million pound gift day to, <laughs> and we buy gardeners books, you know, I mean, what do we do? So, so basically I look at Abraham and I love his attitude and this is going to be our attitude. So he knows He's received promise after promise from God. And this is softening his heart despite his mistakes. He messed up big time over his wife. I mean, he sold his wife down the river. He said, if you weren't here a week or two ago, he pretended that Sarah, Sarai, was his sister. Because 
and he, he, she ends up in Pharaoh's court. And I, we don't know, I, we don't think he, that she ended up in Pharaoh's bed, but it was a close run thing. And Abraham's messed up big time. But here he is now still with the promises of God on his life. Because when God promises over you, he doesn't take the promise back. Hello? Is there someone here? Who's, who's disqualifying themselves saying, do you know what? That promise you prayed over me, God, you've taken it back, haven't you? And God says to you today, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. When I make promises, I keep them. Hello? <laughs> so when the king of Sodom says, do you know what? You know, you can have, you can have all the plunder. And I love what Abraham does now because he's learning to trust God with the future and his material well-being. And so he rejects the offer and he basically is saying this, look, all I've got, God has given me. I want to walk not in grasping selfishness, but in trust and faith. And so I reject your offer, King of Sodom. I don't want this plunder. Man, that was a risky moment. If you look at Genesis chapter 15, how it starts, God says to Abraham, don't be afraid. He's just let go of unimaginable wealth. And I think he probably had a little wobble between the end of chapter 14 and chapter 15, thinking, my bad, look what I just gave away. It's like winning the lottery, which is what it was like, and then giving the lottery money away, thinking, ooh, um, it's a bit like you know, a WhatsApp message that you can quickly get back to yourself, you know, or undo the email you sent. Oh, I'll just take that back. No, no, he lets go. He really lets go of unimaginable wealth. This, the wealth of five kings. And he's now walking in trusting faith in God's ability to rescue him at all times. He gets it right. Abraham now has a right attitude to wealth. It's not eating him up. He's not consumed with making more wealth. He's now open-handed and generous. He thinks only of the men who helped him. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. With Aina, Eshkol and Mamre. Let them have their share. I love that. I love that attitude. And we're like that with each other, aren't we? We're going to be generous to each other. We're going to give each other the share of blessing. We're going to give to the harbour and to the town centre. And beyond, who knows, three, four years from now, where we're going to end up giving a share of the plunder of the enemy in the grace of God to so many who need to hear about Jesus. Okay, I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. I'm going to indulge me now, okay? This is linked to what I've just been talking about. Gillian and I went recently on a short holiday to Italy. Right, and I warned Gillian that I'd be insufferable in Italy because I speak a little bit of Italian and it's my favourite country. So I want, can we show the slide of our holiday? So this is, this is, anyone recognise where that is? That is Assisi in the top left-hand corner and inside that is the Basilica of Assisi. This is St Francis of Assisi and this is where he is actually buried and the picture below is of the Umbrian countryside, right down in the middle. If you think of Italy as a boot, it's right in the middle of Italy. Beautiful countryside. And I'm thinking about this amazing place. And I was profoundly impacted by reading about the rules of St. Francis. So the Franciscan order founded by St. Francis. And it is a very 
wonderful spiritual place. It's, you know, there are some places around the world where you feel that the air is thin, like Iona, maybe Jerusalem, maybe a place that you know of where you feel God is near. For me, it's Assisi. The landscape is transcendent. You kind of feel everything comes together and you feel God is so close. And when you walk around Assisi, you will see um, big signs that talk about the rules that St. Francis gave to his brothers and sisters who were going to follow him. And when you think St. Francis, don't just think of some man standing there with lots of birds on his arm and a bird on his head. He was a serious, amazing believer in God and founded this beautiful order uh, with vows of poverty and so on. And he was the real deal. And he wrote an amazing thing, which in Latin is called Laudes Creaturturum, which means the canticle of the creatures, the song of the creatures. Now, why is this to do with what we're talking about? In a moment, we're going to have the first of our two offerings. And when I approach this, I sit down with my wife and we talk it through. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do? Lord, guide us. What are we going to do? And then walking around Assisi, I kind of get my heart aligned with God. And I realise that everything that I have ever received, I've had from him. Can I read you the Canticle of the Creatures by St. Francis? It's beautiful. Can we do that? Next slide. Here we go. Now, this is you. This is you with all your worldly wealth or all your not worldly wealth, with all your struggles financially, with all the goodness of God and the trust for the future. And it's up to you now in faith to think what you're going to do over this next couple of weeks for us to push the gospel forward, for that lifeboat to go out of the harbour to reach many people. Okay, this impacted me strongly. This is St. Francis of Assisi. Most high, all-powerful, good Lord. Yours are the praises, the glory, and the honour, and all blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong. Every praise is to our God. And no human is worthy to mention your name. Praised be you, my Lord, with all your creatures, especially Sir Brother Son, who is the day and through whom you give us light. He is beautiful and radiant with great splendour and bears a likeness of you, most high one, El Elyon. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars in heaven. You formed them clear and precious and beautiful. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother wind and through the air cloudy and serene and every kind of weather through whom you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister water, who is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother fire, through whom you light the night. And he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong, praised be you, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us, who produces various fruit with coloured flowers and herbs. Praised be you, my Lord, through those who give pardon for your love. Those are priests. You give pardon to many for your love. You are called to be priests of God Most High. You are all priests. You will dispense love and mercy when you leave this room to the people you meet at work, 
in your neighbourhood, in your street. Praised, praised be thou, I've lost my place, those who give pardon for your love and bear infirmity and tribulation. That's you guys and me. You're bearing infirmity and tribulation. You are to be... You are to be blessed and comforted today as you walk in faith on in him. Sorry, I'm getting off the track. Blessed are those who endure in peace, for by you, most high, they shall be crowned. There is a crown of righteousness, of reward coming to each one of you. Ultimately, as you persevere and endure in peace and faith and fight the good fight, praised be you, my Lord, through our sister bodily death. He's praising death from whom no one living can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Blessed are those whom death will find in your most holy will, for the second death shall do them no harm. Praise and bless my Lord and give him thanks and serve him with great humility. Man, that, that beautiful, beautiful song brings me up short. And reminds me that everything I've ever had from God has been given to me by him. And it reminds me that there are, there are warnings ahead. That we must be found in Christ. That there is a thing called the second death. And you find that frightening verse. And I, I find it difficult to read it, but I'll read you a little bit of it. It's in Revelation chapter 20. If we can look at that, it says this. Then... I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. That's us. But when we get there, the Lord Jesus is going to say, welcome, you're cleansed by my blood. Come home, you will receive your reward. This is, this is history closing. This is the end of the age. This is the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. This is what we're living in now. We need to be woken up to the reality that every single day counts and that this scripture is massively important for people who don't know Jesus. Therefore, church planting and the extending of the kingdom is the most important thing that we could give our lives to. And it says this, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life, which has your name written in it as you have given your life to Jesus. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. I don't want to read any more of that. It's, it's not for now. But basically what St. Francis of Assisi realised was that, that life is serious and that all that we have is to be used for his glory and praise. But as I said before, we're to do this in a very grown-up way. That Although I'm about to ask the stewards to bring the offering buckets round. This is for you to take seriously before your God. This is not for elders to say what's what. This is a mature company of believers who understand that they're walking well in God in their own right. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear my heart on that? This is beautiful. This is a company of mature saints who've understood the importance of these days. 
Look what's happening. Look what's happening in Israel at the moment. Oh, no, not another. Not another thing happening on the fringes of Europe or Europe itself. Our dear Ukrainians who are part of this family, who are weeping and struggling. And now we've got Israel kicking off. These days are days where the hope of the world, Jesus, we must present him as the only hope. The only hope. And so therefore that's why we are doing what we're doing. So shall we now prepare our hearts? Now if you didn't know it was an offering Sunday, that's very no problem whatsoever because it's like the last time we had a gift day. It ran and ran for several weeks. And so do not feel any uncomfortable feeling at all if you pass the bucket on. It really is not a problem at all. And if you're a visitor here, this isn't for you. If you want to give into it, that's wonderful. But that isn't, it isn't for you. It's for us together. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then we are going to think before God for ourselves. It's not Clive saying it or any of the elders. We're saying, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Thank you for brother, son and sister moon. Thank you for beautiful earth. Thank you for everything I've got, including the money in my pocket. Hallelujah. I want to see your kingdom advance of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Do you know what? The people out there don't know this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Isn't that beautiful? His beautiful grown-up son, Jesus. And he wants to meet everyone who will place their faith in him. So let me pray. Stewards, if you're ready. Okay, Lord. Lord, thank you that you place me in history and that you've got an amazing part for me to play as a history maker. And thank you that as we watched that video and we thought about the harbour, the town centre, Polgate, Willingdon, beyond, to the ends of the earth, we understand that we are a pilgrim people. We are like Abraham who crossed the great river from death to life. And so we take our name, we're Hebrew, and we're part of this amazing family of pilgrims. So Lord, with everything that we've got within us, we say, Lord, we're yours. You really do own everything. But Lord, thank you for making us free, that you love a non-coerced love relationship with us. And so Lord, you leave us free to be affected in our hearts by your love and by nothing else. That You don't motivate us by law anymore. You motivate us by your son's beautiful example, his death on the cross and his free giving of himself to us. We worship you, Lord, today as we give. Amen.